Well, good morning. Welcome to uh, One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I am one of the co-pastors here, and I am delighted to see each one of you here. Um, I know there's something else going on today. I'm trying to remember what it is right now. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm super excited that you're here. Uh, it's it's a delight to be with to be with you and have you here. Uh, will you please pray with me as as we jump into stuff? Father, I give you uh, great thanks for your presence in this place. God, that you are present with your people, whether we're here or other places. But right now, I'm thankful for each person that's here and how you speak to us in a unique way when we're gathered together. That there's something we can hear differently because of the person sitting next to us or the person across the room from us. There's some way that when we're together like this, you speak to us collectively and individually. And so I pray that you would do that, that you would open our minds and hearts to be uh, awakened to you, God, that we would be ready to hear and receive from you today. And I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we are in uh, week three of our sermon series entitled Gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we started looking at the gift of faith. And this is uh, kind of a, a cornerstone gift because the Bible says that no one can even say that Jesus Christ is Lord without the Holy Spirit helping them to do that. We need the Spirit's power just to be able to say that Jesus is Lord. And then after that, when we encounter really difficult situations, intense conflict, things like that, we also need the Spirit's power to be able to, to face those. We also talked uh, last week, Brian talked to us about this gift of the Holy Spirit that that is called the gift of tears, Um, and and it's this sort of being able to enter into God's mourning for all the things that are broken in the world, but also to be able to enter in as he brings light into those spaces of darkness to be able to enter into those places with hope. In both of these, we address that the gifts are designed to reveal and glorify God and to encourage uh, one another in our pursuit of God and increase of our faith and of the faith of the people around us. We also said that what we're trying to do, because we acknowledge that we can't answer all the questions and we can't hit all of the gifts in this sermon series, but what we're trying to do is sort of get something moving. We, we kind of want to stir the pot a little bit and see what happens and ask some questions and think some new thoughts. But in that, I want to add that we're not doing that just as observers, but it's our belief that the Holy Spirit is active and present in our world and in our lives today, and that He wants to empower all of us to do good things, these, these works that the Spirit has set aside for us, that, to operate in with these gifts that the Spirit has given us, that He is, is wanting us to move in these ways. Because what God is about, God is about bringing reconciliation to this world. And the way He does that is by empowering us through His Holy Spirit to be participants in that work. And it's through those gifts that he does that. And so our expectation is that as we begin to ask some new questions and push into some new areas, as we ask the Spirit to move in some ways, that the Spirit's actually going to do that. And so you might notice some things changing. You might have already noticed that as if you've talked to the Spirit and asked the Spirit some things, that your faith has increased. Maybe as Rich taught about faith a few weeks ago, that, that out of that you may have noticed that the Spirit's moving in you in a new way. And maybe some areas where you felt like your faith was very small and now feels like it's much bigger. Or perhaps you've noticed uh, that you're more keenly aware of the areas in our world that God weeps over. That maybe your heart turns a little more when you encounter those things as God heart, God's heart does. 
So maybe you're moved in some new ways as you have this gift of tears that the Holy Spirit has given you. Not only do you, are you more keenly aware of the brokenness, but maybe you're also more keenly aware of how to enter into that and be light in that place as we go with the Holy Spirit and uh, being the body of Christ. And so I want you to be aware that as we dig into these things, you might see some things happening. Now, at different points uh, throughout history, the Holy Spirit has been likened to different animals. So in the Bible, it talks about the Holy Spirit being like a dove, right? The uh, ancient Celtic Christians used to refer to the Holy Spirit as the on-god glass or the wild goose. Uh, and today I'm going to add another animal to this list as I talk about one of the most intriguing and fascinating animals I've ever encountered, Stripes the Mule. And you will see Stripes the Mule up there. And if you, don't, if you don't recognize it, that's me sitting on Stripes. Now, I met Stripes on the Hawaiian island of Molokai, and Angie and I were taking a tour of Kalua Papa, which is uh, this colony of people that up until the 60s was a place where, uh, where people who had contracted Hansen's disease, also known as leprosy, were sent to live. Um, and, and I could tell you the, the story of that place and how, how many of the gifts of the Spirit were present there uh, and how that place came to be and how it changed and all this stuff. But that's a story for another day. Today I'm simply going to tell you about some interactions I had with this fabulous creature. Um, now, uh, the last time I had ridden any animal was 35 years before this. So it's been a while since this has happened. So I'm not, even though I'm smiling there, I can smile in front of any camera, right? So uh, I'm not feeling like I might look in that picture. I'm starting to get nervous here. Um, And the thing is with this, so when we drove up uh, to this place and there were probably 20, 25 mules up along this fence, all of them brown except for stripes. And I told Angie, I was like, you know, I've got a feeling that's going to be my mule, right? I just know it. There's something about it. I just have a sense. And so we got up there, and they were doling out, you know, okay, you're on this mule over here. And the guy goes, you're on stripes. I'm like, I know. I know exactly who that is, and I know exactly where I'm going. And then he described to me, he's called stripes because some kids thought he was a zebra. Um, So now I feel like maybe stripes has some issues, like maybe he's been called a zebra, and he feels bad about that or something. I don't know. But so I'm starting to feel like I, you know, here I am on this mule. This mule's a little different, uh, maybe in more ways than I'm aware of. Uh, and then we start riding, and it starts off fine. We're going through this nice flat wooded area, and it's just, the, it's like on a logging road, and it, and it looks great. But the, the reality is on Molokai and on this side of the island, excuse me, there are uh, the tallest sea cliffs in the world. There's, some of them are just above 2,500 feet. The one we were on was 2,000 feet. Um, and I have a picture of it. Now, this picture, you can just see the top and kind of part way down. But what you can't see that I highlighted for you in the next picture is the trail. And so this is the trail we're going down. It, you don't see all of it. It has a total of 26 switchbacks. Um, it's a three-mile-long trail, and it's about 2,000 feet, uh, a 2,000-foot drop. So... Now, this next picture shows you a little bit of what uh, we're riding along. Now, I'm not the smallest person in the world, uh, and the mule I'm on is bigger than I am. And I was confident that that fence could not do what I think it's made to make us believe it's going to do, which is stop me from falling and I don't even want to say rolling because I don't know what I'd hit. I'd just fall straight. Uh, so down this hill. So I'm feet away 
just mere feet away from, from, from this big cliff. Um, and then the last picture in here gives you another uh, view of this. Um, so there you can see the fence seems like it's barely made out of twine, right? It's, it's barely present. And you're riding along this. And at this one spot we got to, there's this bridge, which to me was like an oasis because it was pretty wide, solid wood. The rest of the trail was mud and, and sticks and wood. And there were some spots with some paving stones, but this bridge felt really solid, stable. The, the fence on the side was really thick. And I was like, okay. And one of the skinners, the people who run the, the place and take care of the mules from behind me, yelled up to me. They said, uncle on stripes, because uh, on Molokai, if you're older than one of the locals and you're a male, they refer to you as uncle. If you're female, they refer to you as auntie. So this, this skinner said, uncle on stripes, uh, make sure, because there's a jog in this bridge where it, you know, it goes and then it's a right angle at about, you know, for about 10 feet and then it straightens out again. They said, Uncle on Stripes, when you get up to that, make sure you pull the reins a little bit to the left because he likes to really hedge close to that right side. And if you don't pull and watch your leg, it's going to get banged up. And I said, okay. And they said, because he's blind in his right eye. (laughs) And at first I was like, okay, I got to watch my leg. And then I was like, wait, 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 what was that last part? And so, and especially the next time we turned, so his right eye was facing down the cliffs, and I was like, so he doesn't see that at all on that side. All he sees, because he's got a big mule face, and this eye over here, it's not like that eye can shift and look forward. He's got this big mule face to try to look past, so really all he can see is the cliffs, is the, the other side. Um, and I'm starting to ask questions like, is Stripes qualified to do the job that he's supposed to do? And I didn't think he was. This, and I was actually afraid, right? In, in my heart, I was like, this feels highly unsafe. Um, so we came to this spot where, where the trail changed again to some of those kind of pave, like paving stones that people use in their yards and to make rock walls and stuff like that. But there was the turn was, you know, we were heading down, it was turning uh, this way, and, and the, the cliff was kind of sitting, you know, it kind of opened up here, uh, and, you know, and so, but the, the paving stones had fallen down the hill. Uh, and so there was this kind of V opening in the paving stones. And then there were a couple spots where it wasn't just an opening. There were just sections where the paving stones were gone. And I saw some of the other mules struggle with this. And I was like, I'm off, right? I'm done. Because at any point, I could pull back on the reins, stripes would stop, and I could get off, right? That was always an option. And so I'm seriously thinking, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to get off. And then stripes stopped right on the edge of this this V of these stones, and I was like, okay, Stripes doesn't even want to keep going. I'm going to get off now. This is going to be fine, because other people hike down, and that's what I'm going to do. I'll walk. I'll, I'll, I'll walk Stripes down. I can do that, because I'm the one who needs to be in control of this situation. I'm the one who somehow is the expert at this, and as I thought about that, I watched, and I watched Stripes. He dropped his head, and most of the time, his ears were down, because he was bummed, because the mule in front of him was going too slow. Stripes tried to bite him a couple of times, um, but here he looked down and I watched and his ears went shunk and they told us when their ears are up that means they're happy right they're feeling good they're excited and I was like why are you feeling happy right now and I watched and he took his foot very deliberately and he put it in this spot where the big V was on the dirt and then there was a spot over here where it was really it was just like one paving stone was gone probably just big enough for one hoof and I saw him look Tilt his head way over because he can't see how that right eye put his foot right in that hole and then he kept walking and he got through it and I was like, Stripes knows what he's doing. He really, he really does. And when it got difficult, he got super excited. 
He was like, this is what I do. So you on my back, who I can tell, you're getting scared, you're trying to encourage me, I need you to stop jib-jabbing and talking to me, and let me do my job. But what I figured in this was this whole time, I'm trying to control, I'm trying to do this, and what I really needed to do was let Stripes do his job. That I needed to trust him with my very life, that I'm sitting on his back, and I know I could fall over at any moment, but I needed to trust him, because Stripes, the mule, was one of the most sure-footed animals on the planet. Right? This is what he does. He does this six days a week. He knows this. And I needed to trust him. My job was to sit there and stay on his back. That was pretty much what I was responsible for. His job was to get down this crazy trail. And I tell this story because some of us, as we enter into some of these talks about the gifts of the Spirit, we're struggling to let go of some things, and we're scared about some things, and we're really trying to hang on and keep control of the Holy Spirit. But what I learned from this mule about stripes... He's absolutely sure of what he's doing. He's super confident and careful with each step. And once I let go of my attempts to control him, I actually got to see some amazing things. I got to pay attention to the sea cliffs. I got to pay attention to these gorgeous beaches. I got to interact with the people around me and talk to them. And this whole world opened up to me when I let go and I started to trust this mule. And I was never out of control. I could stop him if I wanted to, even when spots seemed like they were still unsafe. The cliff didn't get like a shallower grade all of a sudden. It was still as dangerous as it was before. But because my trust had changed, the trip changed. And so I want to encourage you that the Holy Spirit is sure-footed. He's absolutely sure of what he's doing, and you can trust him with your very life. And so if in any of these talks you're feeling that sort of tension of like, ah, I want to take control, I just want to encourage you to, to trust in the Holy Spirit. Uh, today we're going to be talking uh, about the gift of prophecy. And prophecy is a fascinating gift to talk about because it's in the Bible from the very beginning to the very end. Prophecy is in the Old Testament, the New Testament, it's, it's all over the place. When we look at the Old Testament, we've got the Old Testament prophets who I want to say we look at with a little bit of a, of a like troubled eye because um, we think they're interesting, fascinating people. They said some encouraging things. But I think if any of us saw these people moving in next door to us, we would be discouraged. Right? They seem to be yelling a lot. They seem to be mad all the time. Some of them lay naked out on, in, in the road. Uh, they do all these things that are very difficult for us to interact with. And so I think we think of them in one way um, where we don't really want to associate with them. They're fun to observe, um, but we're not really sure what to do with them. And so I hope at the end of this we'll, we'll have a different uh, take on them. But the other thing I thought was interesting that at one point in the Old Testament when, a, when the prophet didn't want to prophesy, uh, a donkey did. So I thought that was cool to tie that back to stripes. Uh, but, um, and then when we look at the New Testament, uh, we have Jesus who not only is fulfilling all these Old Testament prophecies, these things that were said about the Messiah and, and told about him that, that would come true, and he fulfilled all those, but he was also acting as a prophet. We have John, who is one of Jesus' disciples and closest friends, who writes one of the most well-respected and amazing pieces of prophetic literature, and it's a letter called Revelation. And we have Paul's letters that are filled not just with stuff about prophecy, but with all kinds of wisdom and insight about the spiritual gifts and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And in terms of prophecy, it happens in Thessalonians, which is one of Paul's earliest books, and it goes through to all of his later books and is all in between. And so what we get is this sense from Paul that prophecy is kind of a normal thing that's happening in the churches that he's writing to. Otherwise, he would not have written about it so much. 
We also find that prophecy is not just for those who are labeled prophets. And like all the gifts of the Spirit, we can see in Scripture that prophecy, along with the other gifts, are both available and intended for all who follow Jesus. So that's great. So we find it all over Scripture, but what is it then? What, what, what is prophecy? What does it look like? Well, I'm going to start this by um, talking about a, a book uh, called um, Imagining Argentina. This is an award-winning book by a guy named Lawrence Thornton, and it's about the dirty war in the 1970s in Buenos Aires, Argentina, where the military government is abducting, torturing, killing uh, anyone who opposes their rule. And there were massive people who just disappeared, somewhere in the, like 80,000 people that just disappeared. Now, the main character in this book about this time, his name is Carlos Reda, and he receives this ability to create futures by what the author calls acts of anticipatory imagination. So basically, his stories about people can alter reality. So men would show up in the middle of the night to give back children who had been kidnapped. Holes would open up in, 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 uh, in the walls of prisons and the people who were being tortured could get up and just walk free. And, it, and his imagination could find the people who were missing and bring them home. Now his friends who encounter this and, and, and even see these, these miraculous things happen, they stay skeptical because what they can't believe is even though they can bring people back, they don't believe that Carlos's stories or his imagination can actually deal with like tanks and guns and helicopters and, and someone physical actually in their face trying to hurt you. And they only see it as a conflict of fantasy and reality. But Carlos sees it differently. He sees that the contest is not about sort of fantasy versus reality, but it's about two imaginations. The imaginations of the generals, the nightmare world of torture and disappearances that for these generals is inseparable from their imagination of what Argentina and what the Argentine people needed to be. If they were going to keep their power, this was how it was going to work. But Carlos realizes that there's another imagination in the story. And it's an imagination that says something different about Argentina. And this is what I see throughout the Bible. People who are engaged with and empowered by the Holy Spirit, given a prophetic imagination that allows them to see God's imagination, to see what God sees, a different picture of what they see right in front of them. And for us, what we see right in front of us. A different picture than what the world may offer us. A different picture than what an abusive spouse or an abusive parent or a bully at school says about us. A different reality to even how do we see those people then? How do we see the people who have hurt us? A different reality than what the advertisements that we are inundated with that tell us about how we're less than somebody else because we don't have the right car, the right clothes, the right looks, the right amount of money, the right job. You can just go down the list. A different reality that says along with the hymn, the Christmas hymn, uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that we sang through Advent. A different reality that says that our sad quarrels and divisions can cease. In his book, The Prophetic Imagination, Walter Brueggemann uses Moses as his key example of prophetic imagination. That Moses, after a revelation from God, presents to the Hebrew people a new reality 
It's not sort of a, a, a kind of daydream or a wishy-washy kind of afterthought, but it's a dream that he can taste and see and that he can't ignore. A reality that, that is God's reality where the people are no longer slaves, but they are free, and the freedom they can experience is born out of the freedom that God himself has. Because, check this out, if God shows up and looks at the whole earth and says, hmm, who am I going to pick? Who am I going to choose to be my blessing? Oh, that slave group. Those are the ones I want. The one that everyone else looks at as people to be used and discarded. That's who I want. And who am I going to pick to tell them this? Oh, that guy, because he struggles with public speaking and he doesn't think he can lead. That's the freedom I have. And then the people, that kind of trickles down and the people go, if that's the freedom that God has and he's the one that's telling us we're free, then we are free. It's a real freedom. And I'm no longer defined by what the people, I'm no longer defined by those people who are telling me all I'm useful for is work. And then when I can't do work anymore, I'm just going to be kicked to the edge of the path. They're the free people of God. And when I look at Jesus and I encounter this similar reality, I encounter God's reality, God's imagination that tells me I don't have to be a slave to sin or darkness anymore. I'm a child of God, I'm something different. I don't have to be defined by the world standards, my neighborhood association, the math department, People magazine, or the broken systems that tell us that one ethnicity or one gender is better than the others. And so we find this different reality. And instead, what I I'm, what I'm find, what I'm defined by, is this reality that says that God is. And God is with me and he is for me. That God is, he is with you and for you, that God is, he is with us and for us, that God is with humanity and for humanity, God is with creation and for creation, so we find in scripture all these stories of people working this out, living this, experiencing this, and we're left with this overarching prophetic imagination that in every situation we're in tells us that God is, and he is for us, and he is with us. I want to give just a moment. I want to ask you a, a question. And I want to give you a moment to think about it. And I don't want, I don't want us to give out loud answers, but I want you to, to just think and process for a minute. And, and I want you to think about the different places and spaces you're in. It could be school, grocery store, gyms, libraries, coffee shops, your work, wherever. And the different people you encounter in those spaces. And I want you to think, in those spaces and with those people... And my question is, is can you think of any of those spaces or people where that reality that God is, God is with us and God is for us, needs to be true? Just think about that for a minute. And if you have something, you can write down some thoughts you might have along the way. So if you do have a, a piece of paper, maybe in your connection card or something, write down maybe not only what came to your mind, but any images or thoughts or feelings that were associated with those things. Um, and, and we'll come back to that later. Uh, an example for me is uh, I've jokingly, well, half-jokingly from up here at times, called myself in my house the morning time prophet. 
right? That when I get my kids up in the morning, Angie's usually gone to work already, so I'm the one who gets them up. And then, and then I feel like I'm a prophet because I'm telling them things like, if you don't get going, we are going to be late, right? That there's this message I'm trying to deliver and that I'm pretty constantly grumpy about it because um, that's the way I see prophets, the prophets a lot of times, and that I'm unhappy, the people are unhappy, my children are unhappy, and, that, um, and that's just the way it goes. But I, I realize now that I cannot call myself the morning time prophet because the missing piece is that, that prophetic imagination that would allow me to see in a real way, not to dream of it like, like there's unicorns running around and stuff like that, but, but a way that my kids and I could get out of our house in the morning and genuinely be happy. The best I can see is that we're not yelling at each other, right? Because I don't have that, that sense of the spirit that can allow me to see a reality where it would be different. So I'm now not, I'm not calling myself the morning time prophet. I'm more like the morning time lost guy in the morning, right? But so there's, there's places in your life where, where where does that reality need to be true? And so that's what prophecy is. It's seeing God's reality, then communicating it. It only happens through the Holy Spirit working our lives. It's not a switch we turn on and off. Um, we have to be engaged with the Spirit. We have to be attending to Him, asking Him. And it only happens with time and practice. It's, it's like um, if someone, if Angie comes into the house and she says, Hey, I'm home. I don't, I don't have to see who it is. I know the voice because I've been around that voice for 24 years. If someone else comes in the house, some stranger and says, hey, I'm home, I'm like, I don't know that person. Why isn't my dog chewing on that person, right? I don't know who you are. Uh, my dog should be attacking you right now. Um, my dog's nice, so I wouldn't do that. Uh, sorry, now a lot of you are like, I'm not coming over to your house. Uh, but so, so... So, but then how do we cultivate that? How do we, how do we build that time? How do, we, how do we rest in God's presence in a way that we can know his voice? Um, Gordon Fee, a New Testament scholar, he, when looking at 1 Corinthians 14, specifically with prophecy, he says this. Um, the evidence in chapter, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, indicates that prophecy consisted of spontaneous, gift-inspired, intelligible message, messages orally delivered in a gathered assembly attended for the edification or encouragement of the people. Those who prophesied were clearly understood to be in control, meaning that they weren't taken over and forced to speak some cryptic message against their own will. So there's this intelligible message, meaning spoken in a way that the people gathered can understand. And that could be people gathered like this, could be like a smaller group, could be two. Uh, it could even be, I think, that when you're alone, you have something that you're supposed to communicate to somebody else. But this spirit-inspired part is what I want to talk about for a second, because that can look a lot of ways. You could hear a voice, you could see an image or have a vision, you could have a, just a thought or a sense uh, some people will have something uh, tactile change, the temperature changes, maybe the, the hair on the back of their neck stands up, um, you know, th- they might uh, feel something, actually pressure on their body, um, and then how we respond to that, how do we communicate it, some people speak it, John, uh, Jesus' friend, wrote it, we might write something, we might sing something, um, there are all kinds of ways that we communicate uh, these things, people can, can, can do a dance that interprets uh, what was spoken in and, uh, and try to communicate it that way. Um, and so there's all these ways that this can happen. So we've got this big overarching idea that God is, God is for us, God is with us. And we've got these moments then within that where the Spirit breaks in and kind of speaks to us 
uh, on a different level to give us a clue about a certain moment in our lives that we might need help with or someone else might need help with to help us see that bigger image. Now, you might be asking, uh, could we do this on Sundays here? How could it happen in core groups or prayer groups? And I have a couple of stories I want to tell to, to try to communicate this. Um, a few weeks ago, when Angie and I were on vacation, we were at a church um, on Molokai, and the pastor there, uh, so the church was um, a bit more demonstrative, uh, on the bit more demonstrative side in terms of their expressiveness and, and, and love and devotion for God, uh, which Angie and I are really fine with. We grew up in the assemblies of God in lots of Pentecostal circles, so that doesn't uh, weird us out. We were weirded out by the amount of hugs that people gave on Molokai, lots of hugging, uh, and, and if you're not used to that, it just throws you off a little bit. But um, the other thing was that the pastor who he had just come, so they have three churches on the island of Molokai. He preached at one early in the morning, came and preached at ours, and then was going to preach at another one in the evening. But when he met us, he told us he lived on Bainbridge Island, loved the area, very nice guy, uh, you know, introduced himself very polite like you should be. And then he walked up to the front and started talking, and then they sang a couple more songs, and, and there was this moment where everyone was just kind of singing their own, you know, kind of the own song, the band was playing, and the pastor said, and I have a prophecy for our friends from Seattle and he pointed right at us and I was like okay here we go now the other thing I will say about that like I say that in kind of a jesting way but the reality is is for a lot of churches that operate in the gifts uh, in a really demonstrative expressive way that's a almost like a gift it's almost like a hospitality gift that they give to people who show up that are new where they're like well we want you to we want to bless you while you're here right so Angie and I listened in right we we tried to receive what he said and what he said was he said, I'm not going to try to interpret. I'm just going to tell you what I see. I see a house, um, and I, I have a feeling it's your house. And by your house, next to your house, is uh, a dried-up river uh, that used to be really flowing and active and, and, and full of water and life and energy and all that stuff. And he said, I want to let you know that it's either right now, recently started flowing again, really strong, or it soon will be. And then they just went right into singing again. And so Angie and I were like, awesome. We wrote it down, like, you know, in the moment. Didn't want to spend a lot of time talking about it because we want to keep going with worship. But we wrote it down because we wanted to keep it, weigh it, pray about it. And as we talked about it, what we discovered is that our house sits on the corner of a four-way intersection. And so in our own minds, the, the visions we could have had as he was talking could have been very different. But we found out as they were identical, the places where our eyes were viewing things from were identical. The sky, the color of the sky was identical. The river, what it looked like, the direction the water was flowing was identical. We didn't talk to each other about it. That's just what happened. And so we, now we're a little more intrigued, right? Oh, this seems, yeah, there's more to this. So started trying to weigh it more. What does this mean? What does it look like? And we prayed through it. And at the time, we didn't have a ton, right? And we're like, yeah. Maybe this, maybe that. And then we just let it go for a little bit and let it kind of settle. And as we let it settle, this is what we discovered. At least this is kind of what I discovered and Angie and I are talking about it more. Um, but in, in the year 2000, when we bought the house, it's about a mile away from the University of Washington. I was doing campus ministry and we'd always had a vision to have a community house near the university. And so from the year 2000... Up until August of 2013, we had anywhere from four to eight college students living with us. And so our house had a lot of life in it. And not just the college students who lived with us, but there were always events and activities happening at our house. Anywhere, like some Thanksgivings, we had close to 100 people 
at our home. Uh, the Super Bowl, we had 60 people, right? And, and all these events and after events for UCF Friday nights and stuff. Our house was kind of a really active place. Lots of ministry happening, happening there. Lots of big decisions people were making. We prayed together with students after the attacks on uh, 9-11. And so there, there was just all this ministry and life that happened there. And when I transitioned out of campus ministry, the first year it kind of slowed. And then like this last year, it kind of stopped, Right, and so we start. I started to go. Well, that really is like a river that's dried up. Right, that that's that's significant. Um, and at the same time, Rich and I were participating in this um, uh, certification program at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology called Leadership in the New Parish, where they focused a lot on what it meant to be a faithful presence in your parish or in your neighborhood. And so with that, where I'm working in Wedgwood but living in Wallingford, I was feeling even more isolated from ministry in my own neighborhood and feeling more pushed towards, I got to be a faithful presence in Wedgwood. Talking to Angie, maybe we should move to Wedgwood. Maybe that's what this is all about. But now this, this word, this prophecy has us feeling like there might be something different right, that thought about, could it be just with our kids? No, it feels like it's more than that. Maybe our kids and their friends and their families, like we're, no, it feels like it's more, like that could be part of it, and, but now we're starting to inter- interact with our neighbors and inviting them over, and we're starting, I don't want to say it's like been this huge, like, ah, but we're starting to see some things, and so we're feeling like, wow, here's this guy on Molokai who has a different perspective of reality than we did, because we really did feel like our neighborhood, we don't know what's going to happen with that, right? And, and our house is really not the, the, the center of activity and ministry that it used to be. But this guy saw something different, and he communicated that to us, and it made sense, and we started to weigh it and started to ask questions about it. Now we're finding out that it feels like there's a legitimate word there for us about God and what he's doing. And, and that's part of this process. If you look in First Thessalonians five nineteen through 22, it says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. There's a lot of grace and, and what I want to call wiggle room in that passage. If, if, if this guy would have given a prophecy that had some good stuff in it and some stuff that didn't make sense, then we could just take the stuff that didn't make sense and after we waited a bunch and just say, that part didn't make sense, but this stuff we're going to hold on to because that's good, that's legit, it's right to us. And, and if, he, if someone gives a prophecy and they mean ill will, right, and it's wrong, then go talk to that person. But if someone's just trying... Like, hey, I was praying, I had this, you know, I thought about this weird thing. Does that mean anything to you? You might say no, and just say, okay, thanks for trying, right? That was awesome. And it might, it might mean something to you, right? You might find out, oh, wow, that really did mean something, and I just wasn't thinking about it that way. But so I see this passage of, you know, test everything, hold on to what is good, and then let everything that isn't, just let it go. And so that's what we're doing. I mean, that, but that was that church's process, right? That someone just in the middle of songs could stand up and go, hey, I got a word of prophecy for you or for you, right? That's not our church's policy then. But what is our protocol? How do we do this here? Well, during Advent, um, Jessica had a vision um, and she approached me and we talked about it and, and kind of said, yeah, if, if that feels like something you want to share with the whole group, then then." feels like you could share that. And the vision was of a bubbling spring up on the stage, and then out of that spring, water flowed and came down off the stage and came out and filled into the sanctuary and was a couple of inches deep. 
Um, and, and, and she shared that and, and kind of let people kind of resonate with that. What, what was that like? How did that feel for them? And that's our process here, that if you have a word or you have a vision or something like that, that you can come and find any of the staff or any of the elders. Um, and, and there's another couple that were here first service, uh, Mark and Clara Wilson Thomas, if you know them. You can talk to them also. Um, and, and we're not up, we're not saying like yes or no. Like, we're sort of the gatekeepers. What we're saying is, well, let's process what you've, what you've encountered. Let's process what, what you've had spoken to you and find out. So, is it right? No, that needs to, you need to come up right now and say that. Or, well, let's wait until after the break. Or, well, let's sit on that for a week and let's let that kind of work its way out. Or maybe that's just more for you. And so we're just, we're helping kind of process. Um, and so, you know, Jessica did that, came and talked to us, and we let it, let it process that way. But then last week, Brian preached on the gift of tears. And Jessica, after the service, this gift of tears about this idea of, this, sorry, not this idea, this reality of entering into the things that God weeps over and, and sharing in that and weeping over them, but also being able to move in hope uh, in, into better things as God sort of breaks into those spaces. Um, and, and Jessica emailed Rich and I and said, hey, you remember that vision I had last week about the water and the bubbling spring? Uh, saw the same thing, but this week it was different. It wasn't just a bubbling spring. It was Jesus' tears that were flowing down off the stage into the sanctuary and that there was a strong, clear call and invitation for us to reach down and scoop those up. So again, this is our process, right? Another vision brought to us, and now we're giving it back to you. We're telling you, but what we're also asking you to do is um, over this next week to pray about that. And then and some of you might feel like, oh, I've got a response to it right now, right? If you do, we want you to write it on your connection card. If you don't have a response to it right now, we want you to pray about it. And over this next week, get back to us. Email us, call us, come by and visit. But, but our idea is, again, we want to turn it back to the congregation, to all of us, so we can all have feedback into this, because we take it seriously. It's not just something we want to go, oh, that was nice. It's a very beautiful vision. Let's just move on. We actually feel like the Spirit's telling us something. And so we want that feedback um, from you. And so that's, that's our process. Now, I have one last thing I want to say before we get to our uh, connection cards. Um, it, this, in our culture and in our world, and specifically in, in our country, is, is, a, is a critical time on, on some things. Uh, and, I, and I don't think it's a coincidence that we're talking about the gift of prophecy at the same time we're remembering one of the greatest prophets that our country has had. Um, Martin Luther King, in his famous I Have a Dream speech, uh, made a statement that was along these lines about his children, that he, he, he had a dream of a day that his kids would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by their character. And this wasn't just a fantasy. This wasn't just some kind of wishful thinking. This was something that he spoke about in a way that you, you knew he believed that this could happen. And our country is still trying to figure this out. And we're at a time where we need some people who can also see that because I feel like right now not all of us can see that. Right now, when I think a lot of us, when we look at our country, it's hard for us to believe that we're actually going to be able to get to a point where that vision, that imagination, that prophetic imagination, God's imagination, it's hard for us to see. And so we need some people who believe that to stand up and start speaking that again 
so that we can all hear that and in an appropriate, helpful way respond to, to the trouble that our country's in with that situation. Um, so with that, um, if you have your connection cards, pull those out. Worship team, you can come back up. Um, I have a couple of questions I'd like you to think about. Uh, answer on your question cards if you feel like you have time. Um, so uh, first, again, if you have a response to Jessica's vision right now, you can put that up uh, on there. But the first question we have up here, what areas of your life do you feel uh, like you can sense or see what God sees? Where are those places where you feel like, yeah, it's easy for me to see God working? Lots of times, especially when I was in college, I felt like sitting one-to-one with a person, I, I felt like there was just an easy connection with me and God to be able to talk and relate to people, and that was, seemed really clear. Uh, two, what areas of your life do you feel like you cannot sense or see what God sees? Again, like my morning time prophet story, I need some help there because I can't, I can't get there yet. Uh, three, what new understanding do you have today? What did you hear today, whether it was in the, the time of singing or announcements or anything that, that revealed something new to you today? And then fourthly, uh, what new questions do you have today? Uh, there might be stuff we talked about where you're like, yeah, I understand what you meant by that, but now I have this question. Uh, that would be a great spot to write that. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll sing another song and close.